I'm going to um, reread part of the epistle and part of the gospel. Not that the readers didn't do a perfect job. Everything was just fine, but I'm going to do something that we don't often... Well, we really don't do it. There are a few times during the year, especially during Holy Week, that we have what we call composite readings, where the, the priest or the deacon will read the gospel lesson, but it's from maybe three or four or five different passages. But we don't stop between and say we just switched from Luke to Matthew or whatever. We just do these composite readings. I'm going to do a composite reading this morning, but the composite reading is going to be the epistle and the gospel. We don't do that, but you'll understand why I'm going to do this. I'm going to read, if you want to follow me, I'm going to read the last four lines of the epistle, and then I'm going to go to the gospel without taking a breath. And here's how it reads. And, and now this is after St. Paul does this amazing uh, account of what's happened to him. The deacon just said after the epistle was read, he said, whoa, that's really, that's really a heavy epistle. It's a remarkable thing. I mean, he tells about all this stuff that has happened to him, unbelievable stuff. Uh, and it's about ten sermons in and of itself. But he tells about all of that, and then he says, and, I'm now in the fourth to the last line of the epistle, and to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will the more gladly boast of my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The Lord said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, do you have any clue why I read those two together? St. Paul, in that passage in the epistle, describes one of the most debated passages in the epistle. What was St. Paul's thorn in the flesh? You cannot believe the number of suggestions that have been made. And I'm going to tell you what the true answer to the thorn in the flesh is. No one knows for sure. It has been said, well, it was, he, he, he had trouble with his eyes. Oh, it's a vague possibility. There's one passage in the epistles where maybe he says something about his eyes. And some people think it was all the Judaizers that followed him around from church to church and, and caused all kinds of problems with the converts. Who knows? Oh, and there have been other things suggested. Whatever it was, 
He had a thorn in the flesh, and it was a messenger from Satan. Now, then I read about Lazarus. I mean, you know, this, this grim-looking character. I mean, this, he's probably all grungy-looking, and, and he's got all these shabby clothes on, and he's crippled, and, and they have to carry him to this... And he, they carry him near this rich man's place so that he can get the garbage that the rich man doesn't eat. And if you got this in your mind really clearly, what you can see... Now, you got to use your eyes sometimes. I mean, the eyes inside you. You got to see. Do you see Lazarus sitting there? Do you see him? And do you see the dogs? And do you see the dogs licking his sores? Do you see that? What was Lazarus' thorn in the flesh? Poverty and being crippled. Lazarus had a couple of thorns in the flesh. Now, what I want to do with this passage today, these two passages, is this. Number one. Christians in general, people in general, I guess, we have a rather confused state of entitlement. You know, we think everything in our life ought to be perfect. Everything should go well. I mean, I should have plenty of money. I should have a lovely home. I should have a really good job. I should have a gorgeous wife or husband. I should have perfect children who are never sick and who all turn out well. None of them ever get on drugs. Never, never, none of them ever do anything bad. Everything in my life should be perfect, and I should die, and I should go to heaven and live forever with God. Now, if any of those things are missing, we tend to be a little bit bothered. You know, well, what's happening to us? I must be out of the will of God. Can you imagine Lazarus sitting out there at the rich man's place saying, I must be out of the will of God. I'm crippled, and I'm poor, and I'm hungry, and I'm eating this garbage. I don't know if he did that or not. He may have. But, you know, we tend to believe we're entitled to everything perfect from God. You know what Jesus promised us for our entitlement? You know? He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, it's nice when things go well. Do you ever have a season in your life when everything goes well? They're usually pretty short, aren't they? I mean, where everything's just really fine, nobody's sick, no one's in trouble, there's no problem, all the bills are paid, you got money in the bank, everything's fine. You're not entitled to it, just be grateful for it. What we are entitled to is tribulation. There will be difficulties in this world. Well, why is that? Well, that's simple enough, because this is a fallen world. And when you live in a fallen world, there's going to be problems in a fallen world. It's a guarantee. There's only one place you have any entitlement that you can really count on that's good, and that is in life eternal. There we have an entitlement. Everything will be just fine. It will be worth it all. But in the meantime, don't get confused about your entitlement. Now, in fact, maybe if everything goes too well for you for too long, you might examine yourself and say, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Because maybe I, maybe I am out of the will of God. Everything is going fine. I haven't had any problems for so long. At any rate, we must be careful about a confused sense of entitlement. Believing that we are entitled to good things. In, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, there was a movement in America amongst a certain brand of Christians who absolutely believed that every Christian should prosper financially, prosper in every way. They even called it the prosperity gospel. And millions of people were led astray by it. 
Because they were taught by very powerful preachers that unless you are prospering, you are doing something that's out of the will of God and it's just not right. Be thankful when things go well, but be realistic when they don't. Be careful of that sense of entitlement. It may be confused. Just be thankful. Then secondly, we generally have a propensity to self-exaltation. Folks, I have got average hearing, okay? Used to be super. It's average hearing unless it's one of you complimenting me about anything I may have done. If you do that, I will, you can be standing outside 50 feet away and I will hear it. Oh, do I like to hear compliments. Oh, see, every Sunday when Nick Nasser comes up to venerate the crossy, I'm very careful to listen. Because I can tell by what he says whether he thought the homily stunk or whether he thought it was good. He doesn't even have to say anything. I just know. I can hear it in my ears. You know, we, and when you get complimented for something and when you've done something well or something super happens to you, doesn't there tend to be sort of that sense of, well, you know, I did something pretty well. You know, that's really pretty good. Boy, I really succeeded. That's, oh, well. Well, now you've got this epistle and this gospel together. First of all, St. Paul goes through all this stuff. All these things that happened. I mean, thrice I was beaten with rods and I was shipwrecked and, and all this stuff that went, uh, everything went wrong. And, and then, on the other hand, I had this incredible revelation, what he's talking about. I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw things that aren't rightful for human beings to be seen. No entitlement to see those things, but he was granted that. And then he says, in order that I not get self-exalted, a thorn in the flesh was, are you ready for the next word? Given. A thorn in the flesh was given unto me. What a delightful expression. It's not a penalty. It was a gift. God gave St. Paul a gift of a thorn, a messenger from Satan. Why? To keep him from ending up like the rich man in the gospel. God gave him that thorn. Now, is there any character in the Bible that you would more say you would think would be free from self-exaltation than St. Paul? Is there any other character? There may be others you might think just as much of. I would, there's others. But St. Paul? And he's in danger of self-exaltation? And the good and loving God, the merciful and loving God, the good God who loves mankind that we send up glory to all the time in our services, this good God gave St. Paul a marvelous gift a thorn, a messenger from Satan. It's a gift. Why? Because for St. Paul and for God, the eternal life of St. Paul was a lot more important than, the, than exalting himself. Yes, he had revelations that you've never had or that I've never had, 
and maybe only a handful of people in all the history of the world have ever had. Now, let's look at Lazarus for a moment. Pretty grim life, huh, compared to the rich man. We got a name for the rich man. We call him Dives. It's a Latin word that means rich. Not his name, but historically we tend to call him Dives because in the Latin New Testament, he's called, it says right in the text, there was Dives, a rich man. It's an adjective used as a noun. Okay, a rich man. Everything went well for him. He fared sumptuously, clothed in purple. He must be in the middle of the will of God, right? Everything going for him, right? And this garbage eater, Lazarus, at his gate. Now, life is but a breath. Just such a piece of thin air. And the rich man spends eternity in torment and garbage eater Lazarus, with his thorn in the flesh, is in Abraham's bosom. Which one are you going to choose? And you're going to have to choose. But what do I mean by choose? Don't complain when everything's good. But don't complain when everything seems bad. Why is that which is... Are you ready for the next word? Given. Why is that which is given? To you. Look at it as something so bad. Now, you can pray about it. If you got a thorn in the flesh, pray about it. I would ask you this question. How many times do you think you should pray about having that flesh, thorn in the flesh removed? About three, huh? Isn't that what it says? I love it. St. Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Three times I asked it to be removed. You know what he figured out after three? Probably not a good idea to ask again. I told you, you of Revelation, three's enough. And then he said, the Lord spoke to me. I learned this as a child, so I memorized it in the King James text. But it says this, and he said unto me, God speaking. Now, can you hear God speaking both to St. Paul and Lazarus? As I quote this, can you hear it? He's speaking both to St. Paul and he's speaking to Lazarus. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength or my power, God's power, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. It's not going to stop there. That's just a declarative statement from God. My strength, or my power, is made perfect in your weakness. Lazarus, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So what's the response? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my thorn that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a response, huh? Most gladly, therefore. Not, okay, if that's what it's got to be, that's what it's got to be. It's just the way it is. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me.
Just accept your thorns, folks. Accept them. Go ahead, pray three times to get rid of them. But glory in them. Thank God for them. Glory in them. God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Glory in it. The reward is so great. This is not just grim capitulation to faith. No, it's understanding that God loves you. God's goal for you, His purpose for you is life eternal. To keep you from being exalted. To keep poor old Lazarus. You know, can you imagine Lazarus walking by the rich man's house and saying, Oh, ho, 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 stupid rich man, he's going to fry. I'm going to be in Abraham's bosom, dumb rich man. No, and there was none of that. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Accept your thorns and glory in them that the power of Christ may rest upon you.